Welcome to Pass the Outlet, Episode 2. I'm your host, Michael Benjamin, joined as always by my wingman, Chris Patrick. Chris, how are you doing today, man? You are muted, Chris. <laughs> it's amateur hour! What up, Mike? I'm happy to be here. It's been a crazy weekend. We just did a fantasy football draft, but I'm here to talk about basketball tonight. Yes, sir. Well, I'm happy to be here as well. And welcome to everybody who's watching or listening. And here at Pass the Outlet, we look to take a deep dive on everything basketball, you know, from culture, current events, coaching, and of course, our local teams. So make sure to drop a follow on Twitter and Instagram at AZ underscore BSP. You can find us on Facebook at Valley Sports Plug. And please do not forget to like, leave a comment, and subscribe to our YouTube page at Valley Sports Plug. Chris. We got a special one today. So on episode one, we took a deep dive into me, kind of talked about my journey in basketball from the very beginnings, you know, my experiences with as a son's ba uh, ball boy, and even to now with coaching and, you know, still playing and, and trying to stay active at it. So we want to do the same thing for you today so you can introduce yourselves to all the people and, uh, you know, see kind of what you got and and your uh, your history around the game. So uh, are you ready to go, man? I'm ready. I don't know how I'm going to pass up the ball boy and the point guard to center and all those stories you had. But we'll <laughs> we'll we'll hear my side of the story. We'll see. Well, hey, it's not a competition. And my favorite thing about basketball is that everybody has their own different story. And that's why we're here today to uh, share a little bit about yourself. So, yeah. First and foremost, let's go way back. Let's go back to when Chris Patrick is a young gun, first playing sports, getting active. What was the first sport that you ever played? Yeah, so, you know, I think like you said on episode one, uh, I think like most of us really, it was it was youth soccer. Uh, me and uh, Mr. Ben Miller, who we had on the round table a couple weeks back, um, our parents got us into soccer real young. I think we were either in kindergarten or right around that age. That's how long I've known that dude. Um, but yeah, we were just no good at it. We just wanted to goof off and mess around and throw grass at each other. And uh, we ran around. We were both pretty, you know, at fit and athletic as kids. But uh, soccer just w wasn't it for me. Um, so I quickly uh, gravitated towards basketball naturally because that's what my older brother, Matt, who is also a contributor here at BSP, he pops in every now and again. Um, that's what he was playing. And I just wanted to be like my big brother. I wanted to listen to all the music he was listening to play all the sports and all, and all that. Nice. Now, did you ever find yourself playing any other sports? Like, did you do little league baseball? Did you ever try out football? Or was it straight <laughs> to basketball? Oh, man, I was actually that's a great question. Because at first, I was like, oh, pretty much just basketball. But then like, when I think about it more, really interesting actually i never did baseball um hockey but i did in middle school and even my freshman year of high school i did um wrestling and i actually only did wrestling sixth grade in middle school and then seventh and eighth grade basketball because there was no sixth grade basketball team and i still wanted to do a sport anyway um we can maybe get into more later why i didn't play basketball in high school um or i could get into it now but uh, anyway with wrestling it just it was it was an interesting experience. I got in really good shape doing that. Um, I found out how, just how much energy is exerted 
in one three-minute round, two three-minute rounds. Um, it was crazy. I felt more exhausted after one three-minute round than any half of basketball I had ever played. So that was just real eye-opening experience. But um, but no, pretty much um, after that, uh, my freshman year, stuck with basketball. I will say, though, I did remember, and I laughed when you were asking that question because I went out. I thought I was going to go out for the football team my freshman year, actually, before I did wrestling. And um wanted to be like a wide receiver, cornerback. Wasn't quite sure. I'd never played football before. I did one practice with it was a helmet only practice and my neck hurt so bad. <laughs> I went home. I'm like, mom, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I think they do that on purpose. I think the first week, first two weeks are just brutal. They're having you run. They're having you do all this uncomfortable stuff. Um, and they, they weeded me out quick. So I stay inside with the air conditioning. Hey, that's especially here in Arizona. I don't blame you at all. Those, those summer, uh, those summer camps, man, those are those are killer. But that'll be a good question to ask as far as what are your thoughts about being a multi-sport athlete when we start having some of our friends who work in the youth sports business and uh, a couple of our AAU buddies as well. Because I want to get their yeah. take on, on how they feel about, uh, you know, not just doing basketball year long. But, you know, that's for the future. But today, so Chris, you found yourself basketball it was your love but when did you know that when did you know that uh you really were enamored with the game and everything that came with it mm -hmm. yeah great question and i think oh man i think we all kind of have like a period in time i don't know because when i was thinking about this question before and that I, when i was asking you i was thinking at first that you might have like a point in time but if I remember correctly, you it was more of like a time period where you kind of had that that transition. And I think that happened for me pretty early on um, after soccer, when I started getting into basketball and I kind of in, in a way became like the the pseudo uh, captain of the team. I was pretty much the only kid on this. And this was like rec league. This is um, NYS. It's similar to like YMCA level ball. Um, nothing crazy, but I was, I was the most consistent person. My mom was like the team manager and I'm like, got a ton of playing time. And I just got so into like, and right around that time and that age to put it in perspective was when Steve Nash era was happening. Oh, five, Oh six. Um, and that, and that era. So I really modeled my game after Steve Nash and just got, just fell in love with like, you know, NBA. I was even watching college basketball at that time. Um, playing basketball, getting the shoes. I had a ton of Dada Supremes um, that were super popular, <laughs> blowing up East Bay. They were like 40 bucks. My mom was like, heck yeah, you don't want $100 Jordans? I'll buy you $40 Dadas all day. So um, that's, I think it was around that, like that young age, like fifth or sixth grade when I was just like, yeah, ba basketball is it. Yeah. And one was always the kicks for me when I was growing up. I remember I had, this awesome pair of black and white slip on and ones that I absolutely tore to the ground. I wore them until uh, there was holes coming out of both sides, but I could totally attest to that in regards to that. So, uh, but, so when you started coming up playing in the game around fifth grade, you said, you know, you know, who were some of your idols? Like who did you look up to uh, in the game? Yeah. Yeah. No, of course the first and easiest one I could mention is Steve Nash. 
Um, I, I kind of really modeled my game after. As you know, when we first started playing, I wanted to do all these behind the back passes, no look passes, um, had a decent, uh, you know, completion percentage or, uh, you know, whatever turnover ratio. But if, if, if every once in a while, I'd chuck one out of bounds and get a little sideways look from Michael Benjamin. But um, <laughs> No, Steve Nash, of course, I think mostly because of just easy access, being in the local market, being in my at my age, I really didn't start having, much, like I said, much exposure to other NBA teams um, until I was older. But just another person that comes to mind is uh, Tracy McGrady. The first like essay I ever wrote, if you will, I forget what grade I was in, probably fourth or fifth grade. Um, I rolled up this whole, you know, project on Tracy McGrady and and like those, like I mentioned, those Dada Supremes. I think his his was were Adidas, but in one of the All Star games, he wore one red shoe and one blue shoe, um, and those were like the T Mac ones or twos or something. I don't even know. You'd probably know better than me, but um, in any case, I made my mom order me two separate uh, pairs of Dadas, one red, one blue, and I wore those in a game and uh, got some laughs from the adults in the gym. Well, they're just hating. They're hating on the style, That's man. Saying. That's what I'm saying. Put yeah. some respect. That's cool. So you wrote an essay about Tracy McGrady. I remember yeah. in fifth grade, yeah, I did like a book report on Michael Jordan. And I had to make a whole big-ass collage that I actually still oh, have nice. in my um, my childhood um, room at my parents' home. Um, it's It was just super cool. It's Everything was cut out, different layouts, perfect things, and that kind of stuff. I will say I probably owe my parents a lot. Of credit to that they probably did the majority of that Put <laughs> in the work for you. <laughs> but i you know i found all the stats and and figured all that kind of stuff out so yeah. it was a team effort but anyways enough about me so what are some of your earliest um basketball memories and, and maybe like favorite times um maybe maybe let's stick around like playing the game i guess yeah 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 no i just Thinking about that and talking about the times, those times in NYS, it was funny. It was, I think, my very first game. I think, and my mom loves to tell this story because I was uh, playing up. I think it was like a fifth and up or a sixth and up, and I was in fifth grade. Whatever the case was, I was one one age or grade level younger and it was the team my brother had just been playing on with the same coach so i was coming in with some familiar guys i had kind of shot around with them at practice but i came in this little pipsqueak kid like super small and i made i dropped i don't even know because i wasn't worried about stats back then at all but i my mom swears i dropped 30 points that game i was just making every mid-range pull up dropped a couple threes had a couple layups was just killing it um and, and it was just funny because, you know, every, like I said, people were laughing, you know, underestimating me. And then I felt like it was a good way to make an impression on my new team. <laughs> Worked there out. There you go. Letting it rain. Being unconscious, man. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I try to tell you when we're out there playing, man. You just got to let it yeah. go, you know. I lost sight of it somehow. Another thing I can say about that time period and early memories of my game because I think it's worth mentioning, I used to shoot, and I think I probably broke the habit by the time I started playing with you, but I used to shoot with two hands like Sean Marion. Because I was undersized and got into basketball younger, I just had little noodle arms, didn't put, couldn't put any strength in a one-arm shot. So I was I got really good at the two-hand and kept that until easily eighth grade, freshman year of high school, which I think is part of the reason um, why I didn't go out for the team. There's a lot of reasons there, but I eventually got, I got the one one hand stroke. Now I shoot like a normal person, but that was another thing where people I think kind of underestimated me because they're like he doesn't he can't even shoot his form is whack. Like 
why would I put a hand up on that? But worked out in the end. Hey, we've seen plenty of guys with crazy releases. I mean, Sean Marion is at the top of that list. Another guy is Josh yeah. Childress. And these were guys who made it to the, you know, the pinnacle of their profession. So if it goes in, that's all that matters at the end of the day, you know? That's what I'm saying. So speaking of Sean Marion and the Phoenix Suns, as a Valley boy and being grown up here, um, have, have you always been a Suns fan or did you start as a, another team or have you already always bled uh, purple and orange? Yeah. For anyone who's ever doubted, I was born and raised right here in Arizona, always been a Suns fan, never switched up. Mike can attest, even through the Eric Bledsoe days, I was in the rafters screaming my lungs out, losing my voice on a Wednesday night. I live and breathe orange and purple, man. Like, I don't know. There's just something about the Suns. And, like, I, I think I was mentioning it when uh, we were talking to Chev when we had him on the, the Heat Check podcast. But I am pretty much Pittsburgh for most other teams, really just the Steelers, because football and basketball are pretty much the only sports I follow pretty closely these days. But, there's no basketball team in Pittsburgh. So it worked out that I was allowed to be a Suns fan by my family. And plus my dad's here and he was a big Suns fan. Um, I mean, he's a moderate sports fan in general, but he was a Suns fan. So I'll give him a little credit. Um, so yeah, always, always been with the Suns, always going to ride or die with them. Even from the Steve Nash's to the Eric Bledsoe's to the Devin Booker's. Uh, we will reach lows again in the future, and we just got to we gotta tough it out. Yeah, I mean, I've known you for just a little bit over a decade now, Chris. Pretty much when we, when we first met, it was at the tail end of our Steve Nash glory days. I think we had went to the Western Conference Finals that one last time before he went to L.A., and then, you know, we were just – sticking it through the mud you know i i could still hear you plenty of times sitting at those games uh just <laughs> talking mad shit about eric bledsoe and him leaving his feet and throwing nonsensical passes it's like it was yesterday but you know so that's it's it's nice to finally kind of be on the other side and uh be contesting for championships again but so with that being said uh what's your all-time favorite memory from the phoenix suns all-time favorite memory of all the Phoenix Suns teams. That's that's really hard. I think probably just the ride of them getting to the Western Conference Finals, as disappointing as that was, that era of the Suns team was just incredible. And the way they moved the ball and you could get behind all the play you didn't see anything like that i mean even i was even a i knew every player on the team jim jackson quentin richardson joe johnson um T tim tim thomas at one point like everyone could shoot threes it seemed like and they were just they seemed like an unbeatable machine and just unfortunately came short i i'd say another one that's a close second would be going to that finals game last year against the bucks we went to game two uh, that was just an electric environment. Even back in the Steve Nash days, I don't think I remember the arena ever being that ruckus. So I like the direction they're headed in. I think the best memories are yet to come, um, fingers crossed. But those are a couple that stood out that I that I can think of. Yeah, I mean, well, qu another question for you. Did you go to any of the 2001 World Series games? No, I don't think I did. Okay. 
Oh, you were probably you were super young at that Did point. Did you? Still. No. So when we oh. went to game one of the finals last year, that was my first experience to actually be, you know, in um, a championship, you know, festivity event. Like it was really something to behold. And, you know, you know, I've been to plenty of playoff games. Uh, you know, I was there during the 04 and 05 runs, 06, 07 all those time frames going to the Western conference finals, but yeah, the juice was in the building and it was definitely a little bit different. It seemed like, um, from back in the days and not to, you know, hold them to a lesser standard or, or the fans to a lesser standard. It's just, I think when you're a kid, you don't get to appreciate it as much. Um, cause especially you didn't, you didn't know that we were going to be so bad for <laughs> almost a decade, uh, and have to wait until we were really finally back in that kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. But, Definitely. Yeah. So, and obviously, you know, this off season has been, I I'd say a lot of fun, even though, you know, there's been more rumors than actual signings for the Suns. Um, we, of course we did bring back Deandre Ayton, added some key pieces to the bench, but uh, is there anybody in the league that you're watching nowadays that you really try to keep an eye on? Um, and and tune into a game here and there or watch their stat line and and have become a fan of either than anybody on the suns Ooh, gotta put the caveat on it of course mm -hmm. um i think a guy that i really uh, had have had my eye on for a while and and thought has incredible potential is brandon ingram um being drafted by the lakers into kind of a a rough situation um, and some turmoil, then getting traded to the Pelicans in that Anthony Davis deal. He's really had flashes, and we saw that in that first round of the playoffs with the Pelicans this year, where he he is like a, I think I joked, he's like a Walmart Kevin Durant, but he's still a young guy. Um, and it's been very interesting to watch how he has really added things to his game. He has the length, he has the size, and he even has the shot. So... Even man, I hate to say it because they're a Western Conference team and a budding rival of the Suns. But even the whole Pelicans team, man, um, you know, even aside from Zion, I like CJ. I like them getting CJ McCollum. That's a good move. Uh, they were they were pretty scrappy. Even that um, Alvarado guy that Cody loves so much. He's as much of a pest he is. You can't can't knock how, knock his hustle. He he's a guy that you can count on to to chase after loose balls. And I'm sure he might not be the best guy, but he gets his minutes because he's one of those grinders and, and such a pest on defense, but more so, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what Brandon Ingram does in these next couple of years. Have you seen that picture of him where he's kind of looking like a little uh, scraggly, um, like he hasn't showered in a couple of days. Have you seen that <laughs> yeah. Floating around? yeah. So he's, people are like, Oh, he's, he's been working so hard. He's, he can't even shower. So maybe we'll see him take a leap uh, this year and, and really uh, reach his full potential. He's sleeping on the court every night. Yeah, man, that first round series against the Pelicans, you know, even though it made your heart skip a beat plenty of times, that definitely what is what playoff basketball was all about. And, you know, Alvarado is kind of like a Pat Bev to me, you know, you hate him when he's on the other team. But if he was on our team, I'd probably love him to death and be wanting to make sure that he gets the Dan Marley Award every year. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, we have to root against him at the moment. But. Uh, so, okay, Brandon Ingram right now. What about all-time guy? Who's your all-time favorite uh, NBA professional? 
non non Suns NBA non, professional non Suns player. Okay, the caveat, the caveat. Um, man, if I had to say, and oh, man, this might be this might be a weird one, but I think I'm gonna go with Dirk Nowitzki. Again, another rival of the Suns, another guy that is kind of slept on, you know, like Dirk had his big man game, but he he could also stretch it. And he carried that Dallas team for so many years, was finally rewarded with a championship during the Jason Terry, um, you know, all that, all those guys in that era. But the way he kind of to change the game and set the mold for other big guys to come through, like the Joel Embiid's and the Nikola Jokic's, um, Chris Tapps Porzingis, even as much as he's kind of like broken all the time. That's another another fact altogether. Um, he's another guy. He played with Steve Nash, and I didn't even obviously didn't know about Steve Nash back then. But if you go back and watch those clips, like they were a pretty nasty duo. So. A guy like that, you gotta you gotta respect. And I think it took a long time for me to really respect the big man game as a whole, especially being a smaller guy growing up and playing most of a guard role. I, I didn't understand a lot of the things you big guys do, and and to some extent, I still don't sometimes. But um, Dirk, it was a different different kind of breed, and he was a a four that could play the five, but also could kind of play a three role. Um, so just really really respected his game i didn't i kind of wanted to go out of the box and not you know because obviously guys like kobe were incredible to watch michael's another easy one um but dirk's a guy i really got to see a lot like i was saying earlier that exposure the suns played him four times a year for how many years i saw a lot of dirk um i'm sure i'll i've gone to hundreds of games uh in person so i've probably seen dirk live before just an incredible player fun guy to watch and um a, a good guy off the court too and you, you like to see that yeah, Dirk was one of those guys, just like Tim Duncan. Man, did I hate That's them. That's a good one. Because they always put it to the Suns, and when it was time for us to get over that hump, those were the guys we really couldn't get over. But when I was a ball boy, those two guys were probably one of the nicest people, not only just athletes, but people that I ever met. Um, so it definitely had admiration towards them. And, um, you know, hey – Keep an eye on uh, uh, or keep Dirk in your mind because he might be coming up here uh, shortly in uh, the outlet PG. Uh, got a funny clip for that one today for sure. So we'll dive in that. Into, yeah, we'll dive into that later. Um, so, you know, here in the Valley, especially this past year, there was a lot of um, Valley bred success in the college game that ended up uh, – coming into the NBA this past season. I want to say it was the most out of any state uh, that were first-rounders drafted. And so, Chris, do you follow the college game at all? Are you paying attention? Uh, admittedly, the past couple years, maybe half a decade, I haven't really been keeping up with the college game. You know, every time March rolls around, I love to fill out my bracket. That's probably 95% of the college basketball I consume in the year, maybe 99% of the college basketball I consume in the years during those four or five weeks, whatever it is. But I got love for the college game, man. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. These guys play a different kind of game. And um, there's just, like you said, a lot of talent from, from the state, even that that's fun to keep an eye on. I mean, remember, I mean, not, not recently, um, but you know, guys from even my own high school, Casey Benson played for Oregon and uh, Grand Canyon. 
Uh, you see guy, other guys going off and playing college ball like uh, Marvin Bagley. Uh, he, I didn't know him, or but he did go to Corona, what, not when I was there, but another guy from the state like you mentioned. Um, do you know off the top of your head, Mike, do you know the names of any of those other guys that came out of the state? Oh, my goodness. You put me on the spot. I know. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to flip it on you. But no, that's all right. But um, you, you just love to see that. So there's a lot of intrigue. And especially with Arizona State, I'm again, maybe some a teaser here. But in the coming you know, couple weeks, we, we're going to have Ben Miller on the Heat Check podcast. And we're going to talk about um, you know, Arizona State basketball and football. And he's, he knows a lot about the program. But just what I, my surface level knowledge of it, uh, I've loved kind of the Bobby Hurley era. He can be a bit of a headache sometimes. Um, I know his his sideline antics get to be a, mu- a bit much, but they they made a tournament appearance and it came up short. But they they had one of the best seasons they've had in in school history. Um, you know, like I think, yeah, Remy Martin can't remember really many of the other guys names off the top of my head, but I would tune in. And that's probably again, um, you know, I think that was a year or two ago, but that's when I was watching, you know, the most college basketball and. Got to fill out the bracket. We're gonna do a Valley Sports Plug bracket challenge, and uh, gonna have a lot of fun with that. So I'll cons- everyone can come and consume that basketball with me then. Yeah, my rooting interest is uh, the teams that aren't gonna bust my bracket or mess up any of my bets around March. So that's Amen. kind of as far as I'm at. But uh, I mean, there's a big difference in the game now, just from college to pros. What's kind of your favorite difference between the the two? My favorite difference is just the amount of like they they're tryhards out there, man. These college guys they they try hard, um, and I'm not not trying to diss on the NBA guys. I know they try hard too. It's just a different level, but you see the effort. The defense is much different. The sets are different. Uh, the hu- the level of hustle is so much different. I mean, that's got to be my favorite thing. I mean, you, it's so funny too. Uh, maybe not my favorite thing, but hearing their shoe squeak. Cause the, maybe the gyms aren't as loud or I don't know. It just seems like the shoes are a lot more squeaky in college basketball than in the NBA basketball. And I always notice that around tournament time, but going back to the, the real meat and potatoes here, just the college game, you can have these no name guys. They maybe don't have the scouting report. Maybe they're just an average player, but they get put in the right situation against the right team. And you can have some really amazing performances and, um, just guys really outshine and guys that maybe they would never see the league, but find the right situation in a college game and, and just go off. So, um, it, I like the unpredictability, I think of it too. Uh, there's, there is a good, fair amount of parody in the NBA these days, but in, in college basketball, you know, you never know what's going to happen. That Cinderella story is always, always coming up in the bracket every year. Yeah. I mean, one thing to add on to that is, you know, a lot of those kids, they're fighting for their futures, right? Whether it be a draft spot for the NBA, um, the ability to continue to get playing time at their school or getting enough film on tape uh, to be able to play overseas, you know, and continue their careers. So I could definitely see why, you know, you see those kids trying a little bit harder because in the NBA, I mean, once you've made it to the pinnacle, some guys get complacent and we see why their careers, you know, don't span as long as probably their skill uh, could allow them to, but I'm a hundred percent there with you. Uh, For basketball as a whole, as 
the years have gone on and you've played and you've coached and you've experienced so much. Um, what sticks out to you in regards to the way the game has changed? Man, it's funny because I was uh, playing with you guys a couple of weeks ago in open runs and uh, we play with some young guys out there sometimes that are, you know, seniors in high school, recently graduated. So, you know, 17, 18, 19 range. Um, but you really notice these kids, they're a lot more, um, I don't want to say trigger happy, but they're not shy to pull the trigger. If, I don't know why I keep using that analogy, but they, they, they run up and they'll pull up fast break threes. They'll do step back threes and I say it's funny because when we were playing the, the other week, this kid kind of did that where he was on a fast break, pulled up and chucked a three up. I think he missed even. And um, Mike Howard was coming down and, and I looked at him and I'm just like, man, game's changed. And he's like telling me like, uh, and it's just funny. Cause like I would still, if, if some kid on our team did that and it was, you know, not the right situation. Cause there are situations, you know, the buzz times going down, whatever this and that, but I would pull a kid. I would still do that. But when you're out in open runs, you can't get benched during open runs. Like, um, I, but even then, I don't know. I didn't see that so much when I was younger. Kids weren't doing that kind of thing. And I think, you know, obviously the, the pro game ends up reflecting in, in this setting where you see what the pros are doing. And that's not uncommon now. Even like I was saying, the Suns kind of started to revolutionize that with the with chucking up a lot of three pointers. Um, Steve Nash was even known to pull a, a running three every once in a while. And now you see the Warriors, Steph Curry is doing that, fast break threes, Trey Young's of the league. It's it's just not even, nobody blinks an eye, nobody even thinks about it anymore. So th things like that, um, like I was saying, Dirk revolutionized the game during his his time and my time as a kid where he was kind of a one-on-one, -on -one, but now you see a lot of stretch bigs. Like that's kind of the mold. Um, you see these tall guys that can knock down the three, um, but also get to the hoop in two strides. And it's just, it's incredible. The the amount of athleticism, I think that's been an overall trend in basketball as a whole for, you know, the past, since its inception, since its creation, you know, you, people like to joke that Bill Russell was playing against, um, you know, janitors and handyman or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's just the game's pretty young in, in retrospect. And you got to you got to understand, as especially as technology advances, when it comes to these guys diet and how they how they train and treat them, their bodies, it's it's a whole nother level. And I, I don't know, maybe we've seen the peak of that, but I think there's always going to be changes and adaptations that come with the game. So who knows, maybe uh, a four point line will be implemented and then uh, people will just start chucking up half court shots and that'll be a normal thing. I hope not, but uh, you know, I got to be the, the ridiculous one on the podcast. Yeah. A four point line would be the death of the league. 100%. No four point line. Yeah. It would be the death of the league. Uh, but I, I do like how you brought up um, the part about us playing with a couple of younger kids and their unconscious abilities to throw up things. And it's something that we've struggled with as coaches and had to have conversations with, uh, you know, our high school players. So reminiscing on, you know, your time when you played in high school, um, how, how come you didn't play high school ball? I know, I think you wanted to put this on here and, and kind of address to the people uh, why that yeah. might not have been uh, the case. Yeah, no, I really did. Thank you, Mike. I really did want to speak my piece on this because it's something I've, grappled with for a long time and i think recently have kind of come to terms with it and if i could go back maybe i would have tried harder to be a part of that team and then just tough it out but 
just to you know my logic back then like i said i was on the freshman wrestling team because i didn't do basketball and i was on these rec league teams these nys teams where i was kind of the, the captain the better player on the team but that didn't mean i was the best at, in my age um i did get approached one time uh, to join a club team but um I don't blame my parents, but I just don't think we had the money to to do a traveling team or club team type of thing. And so it was it was it was NYS for me. And I was happy with that as a kid. But then I it kind of put me behind the the eight ball, I felt. And another factor, the incredible amount of talent my my year. I graduated 2012. Freaking, you're talking Kalen Robinson played at ASU, Andrews P in the NFL playing for the Saints. I know that's football, but he's a big guy, always been a big guy. Avery Moss played for the New York Giants. I'm not too sure if he's still in the NFL, but another big guy. He was really good at basketball. Um, there's a whole bunch of other guys. My man, Jesse McCain. I don't know if he's watching this, but Jesse was better than me, and he didn't get much playing time. And it was like, man, that sucks. Like when I know my friends that are better than me, um, Elijah Hempstead, he was better than me great baller didn't get to see much playing time and it was like damn do i really want to show up and practice you know every day to not ever see the court during a game and on top of that i was i think i had a fear of failing i thought that if i did go out for it i i would embarrass myself and and i wouldn't make the team at all and and i think a lot of that like i said i had that sean marion shot i hadn't quite developed um you know my my one-handed free free throw jumper but then it was funny. I went out, ended up my junior year going out for the team, showing up at tryouts. And I wanted to do I, my in my head. I was like, I would I would like to play on the JV team. And I would like because I think I might be able to get playing time there. I'm looking at these guys that are on the JV team. And I think I, you know, I'm pretty, pretty up to snub with them. Oh, come to find out. And maybe this wasn't entirely the case, but it's only juniors and seniors played varsity. Um, no juniors played on JV, I'm pretty sure, is how they had it set up. Or I, I think that might have just been how the tryouts worked, where you the juniors and seniors tried out with the varsity, whatever, and then the JV had a separate set of tryouts. Anyway, I, I am at tryouts. I'm going to try and tough it out anyway. Um, and I end up in a three-man weave drill with two kids that had absolutely no business being in this tryout. And I'm talking like absolutely no business. Like you would, you would, you, they couldn't quite drill. They should have been on our YMCA team, Mike. I'm telling you, this is, this is how bad they were. Um, and I don't think one of them, I don't think even knew what a three-man weave drill was. So here I am, I've played basketball for, a, you know, five, six years now at this point uh, or whatever. And anyway, ultimately we're going down. I, I have to go chase, you know, jump, reach for a ball that's flying out of bounds to try and impress Sammy Dwayne, look, show him my hustle. And I come down on my knee and it kind of like does one of these deals and super bad strain on the inside of my knee. I forget what muscle that is, the MCL or whatever, but I, I like I hobbled me. I couldn't, I couldn't run. I couldn't jog. I could barely walk um, for about three, four days. And I, I didn't end up being able to finish tryouts. And so I'll never know if I would have been able to ride the bench or uh, maybe play some JV ball, but I, I was thinking about it today in kind of preparation for this. I think if I could go back and tell myself a word of advice, it would be to not compare myself to all those other players like Kalen Robinson, Andrus Pete, because I'm not them. I can only I should only compare myself to who I was yesterday, and and I think that's good life advice and good ball advice because you're gonna when you don't see the shots go in and you're clanking them it's frustrating and when you're throwing passes out of bounds or you're getting picked or you're playing against kids that are more athletic and more 
further along in their progression, it, it can be really discouraging, but just, just if I could have just not compared myself to them, kept my head down and keep working, I would have been very interested. I'm still curious to wonder where I might've gone, but can't change the past, only the future. So I'm taking that advice now. And um, I love playing ball with you guys going out in these adult leagues Sunday and, and here I am. So I, I like it. That's my piece. That's my piece on why I didn't play high school ball. Great life advice from Chris Patrick. Make sure y'all pass it along to your kids. And Chris, you bring up a whole lot of great, great points that, you know, as we've become coaches, we try to portray onto those kids, you know, the acceptance of failure, not being afraid to put yourself out there and, and, and try your best and, and, you know, put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Um, really, if it's something that you want, you know, you have to put your time and effort into it um, on, on, the, on your own. And, you know, at the end of the day, make sure it's still something that you love and, and want to pursue because, you know, high school and whatever comes with it is always just a short window. And, you have your whole life ahead of you to still really enjoy the game and still play at a high level, which I know we do nowadays still. So, yeah. you know, I could probably attest, you know, some of those kids who are on those teams with you and, you know, maybe went to play college. I bet you a good handful of them aren't still playing today because they might be uh, a little bit worn out from it, from all the years and, and sacrifice and effort that they had to put into it. So I wouldn't change anything that I did. And I'm glad that you've made your peace with it. But with that being said, we now have to transition into the uh, the coaching side because it was a big part of our lives for a couple of years, especially after I started at the YMCA. So do you want to take us down the memory lane about when you started coaching? Yeah, man. Yeah, I think we might have touched on it a bit in episode one. But, man, I just got to say first and foremost – the co coaching these kids was equal parts rewarding and frustrating. And I felt the range of emotions throughout my time as a coach, but I loved it, man. I, I remember it was really early on in meeting you and becoming friends. We were outside chopping it up about basketball. And one of us mentioned like, yeah, I, th I, th I thought about coaching a youth team. I'd like to do that one day. And it was kind of, kind of something we comment we made in passing. And I think a couple weeks later you were like, yo, are you really down to coach? And it was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And so we kind of both locked that in the back of our minds. And then I think it was maybe two, three years later. I can't even remember the timeline. It's been so long. But uh, we finally had an opportunity. You were, Like you said, you were the sports director at the YMCA. You said, Chris, I got this team. They need us to coach it. Are you down? And I, I showed up. And boy, what did we walk into? It, it was, like we said on episode one, man, it was the free agents of the league. It was the kids who didn't have their squad, they were rolling up to the my park mode, trying to stand on the side of the court and nobody would pair up with them. So they ended up on Chris and Mike's team, um, Blaze. Blaze? Is it just Blaze? Blaze, yep. Just Blaze. And um, man, that was a great group of kids. I mean, Bryce and Brooke, man, they stuck with us from the, from the beginning to the end. And I love coaching. I'd love to do it again someday. I definitely plan. I mean, shit, I'm wearing the Junior Suns shirt right now. I uh I rolled rode the roller coaster, bought the t-shirt or was gifted the t-shirt. Um some of my best memories there were going downtown. I oh shit, I'm jumping ahead, but just going going downtown with those kids, man, and just 
reliving those memories. I remember just talking about me one real quick because I love talking about myself. When I was playing YMCA basketball, I think it was seventh grade or eighth grade. No, eighth grade. It was eighth grade going into freshman year. We did a YMCA team and I got uh, elected to do the three point contest at the at the all star game. They put on like a little all star game. They had these rubber balls like these five dollar basketballs you get from Walmart. I'm like, we're in the Suns arena. I know they have at least one hundred and fifty basketballs somewhere in this building, but it was a racks and racks and racks of these rubber balls. And if anyone's ever picked one of those up and shot with it, they feel like they're about 15 pounds heavier than a normal basketball. Mm-hmm. It's like shooting a damn medicine ball. Anyway, I digress. I would love to be in a part of that with these kids. Cause I don't, did they take away the skills challenge and that part of it? They just, they did. It. They yeah. did. And I think it was more so a conflict with uh, the sons and the ability to actually get the day, like an extra day to do that kind of stuff. Uh, because when I was there, we tried to kind of revamp it, but we had to use our own facilities. Um, so I had a couple of my own like skills challenges at the end of the year where we set up like a, a, a maze, you know, where you got to dribble through cones, pass through the hoop, make a layup, come down, shoot a three. We had the three point contest. Um, and I think we had one other thing. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, I mean, that was the same when I was a kid, uh, with the Suns, we had a full-blown all-star game. We had all that stuff. We had the skills challenge, the three-point contest, and an all-star game. And we played them all at uh, the Suns arena. So hopefully they'll get back there one day. That'll be cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think they could they could do it. I mean, it's, it might be a little bit more difficult now because when I did it, they still had the underground practice court. Um, and so I think they did some of the skills stuff down there, and then they were mm-hmm. running the all-star games up on the main court. But um, – yeah, I would love I hope they bring it back, but going going down down there with those kids and just kind of, you know, re reliving that with them and as a in the coach's perspective, there's there's nothing like playing on that that court and kids don't realize just how much bigger it is and like how much further that three-point line is and it was it was funny they they if you've ever been on the court, you know, good NBA court is good distance. And we, the refs would tell them like, Hey, you can take a step in and we'll still call it a three for you. You don't got to take NBA range threes. Did they listen? Of course they didn't. And I think it's probably a mental thing. You know, you just see a three point line. You're like, Oh, that's where I'm going. And so everything was just coming up like a foot short of the rim. <laughs> just absolutely hysterical. But so those, those championship games ended up not being some of the best games, but uh, some of the best times anyway, um, where we got to win a couple, we won a couple championships, right? Yeah, I think we won two of them. Two of them. We made a couple of more. We made several more appearances, but yeah. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, we're we're at the like LeBron James um, win loss record. We got more losses than we do wins, but hey, at least we get down there, and that's what matters. Yep. But so, you know, making an impact, spreading your knowledge to the young kids, it's great. It's wonderful. Somebody's got to do it. And I'm happy that it's you, Chris. But it doesn't stop us from still playing ball as much as we can. And we're consistently out there every weekend getting runs in. Uh, Try and do a couple of days when the gyms open up, especially since I still work at the Tempe Y. And uh, our youth sports pretty much takes over entire Saturdays. Um, so we try to get those runs in a little bit more uh, when those the seasons aren't going. But um, how has your game 
changed over the years the way that you play yeah it's changed so much honestly and i'm sure you've even seen that it was weird um i'll i guess maybe start kind of where it's i'm gonna bounce over the timeline uh, i felt like i took a couple years off there in like 2000 between 2019 and 2021 or so um just didn't get got got caught up in the in the day-to-day grind um i was coaching so got some shots up here and there but didn't really get to go do runs or like pick up and was a couple years where i was out of it and so i think something changed during that time period i mean before when i first met mike like i said i was slinging behind the back passes like a madman i was um you know chucking up threes driving to the basket um being quite a bit more aggressive um and now my game right now i still take those threes when they're open but i i defer a lot i pass a lot um what going way back though like i mentioned i had that sean marion shot that i had to shake uh once i broke out of that man it was it was game it was a game changer and even my even my one-handed shot is still developing there's so many little things you can do to tweak just your shot um from your finger position to your release point how you set your feet the way your hips are pointing and you know you can watch videos you can get all sorts of different advice and like you said that we've seen a lot of crazy shots there's no like one textbook way i mean there is the one textbook way they say you shoot but like there's no you know different things work for different people so i think i've tweaked that a lot um just really trying to focus on my strength as strengths as a player and you know i think i play some pretty decent defense so i kind of try and be you know, I, I think I was telling you a couple weeks ago, you there, you know, you got the, the three and D, the stretch four, the the hardcore defender, all these player types that you see. And I think I'm more of like a defense and dime type of guy, like a D and dime. So I'll, on the defensive side, I'll, I'll two way player. I'll do that. And then on the other side, I'll set you up with a good pass in the middle. D and dime. Dude, we got to make T-shirts of that. I bet you those would be hotcakes. You could sell shit, the right. shit out of those. But okay, so with that being said, is would you say that's the way that you try to assert yourself the most when you play? Yeah, I think I think so. That's probably how I make an impact now. I know you and you and Reggie are on me to be more assertive overall. Um, I think I'm trying to get back to that. Like I said, I used to drive to the basket more, and I think maybe you stuffed me one too many times in the recent history, or something got my confidence down, but. Um, but also, also I'd say, I think this is, uh, these Sunday runs, it's probably some of the best competition I've had as an adult. I mean, it was all fun and games when we were going out to Intel, but let's be honest, not all of those guys were ballers. Um, Mm. but it was fun. It was good exercise. Never, never changed it for the world, but, um, a lot of good talent. So I think I kind of shrink when there's more talented players around. And so it's really, I think I'm going to try and build my confidence up, but to answer your question, yeah, I try and. I try and stick to my strengths and, and make my imprint and be assertive that way where I, I make good passes. I play hard defense and and try and help out the team in, in ways that I can that aren't detrimental. Because if I'm chucking up shots and missing them or getting blocked on some crazy Eric Bledsoe drive in the lane, that's not helping anybody. Yeah, but, you know, I'm 6'7", and I can't tell you how many times I've been blocked. It's been a hell of a lot. I feel like I was blocked the other week too, but it doesn't stop me, man. It's just about maybe you just need to take some of those advice from uh, some of those high school kids and and uh, just go unconscious one week and and see how it feels. But yeah, uh, hey, everybody, that's the my favorite part about a team, right? You know, the really great players to play with are the ones 
uh, you know, who will play within their role and when asked upon, uh, you know, do a little bit more. And Chris, you've always been that kind of player every time that I've played with you. So it's always a pleasure. Well, thank so, you, so with that being said, when you're getting ready to step on the court, do you have like a game day routine or anything like that? Are you doing any pre-workout? Are you, are you eating any protein bars? What does that look like? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, uh, I have, I'm like a routine guy for some reason. I don't know what it is, but it's funny because it depends on the setting and the type of ball I'm going to play. When I was younger, um, you know, these rec league games were on Saturday mornings, Saturday afternoons. So I would, you know, a couple, couple hours before the game, I'd take a nice hot shower. I'd do some stretches in the shower, do some stretches out of the shower, show up nice and early, get some shots up, do my layup line, have my shoes tied nice and tight. And that, that was my go-to routine all through my rec league days. And then now uh, when, when I'm doing our adult leagues in the evening time, um, I just started that this season, actually, I have a cup of coffee, uh, kind of get my, my energy levels up a little bit. And then I drive out to the gym, you know, again, I always forget to stretch until I see you start stretching. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I should probably limber up a little bit. I'm about to run for 40 minutes. And so, um, it's kind of, it's kind of minimized. My, my routines kind of shrunk a little bit, I think, uh, depending on how much time I have, but on the Sunday runs, my routine is wake up get dressed, drive 45 minutes to the YMCA. And then, uh, oh, I do go to, I'm, I'm lying. I stop at QT and I get a Zion's and a slice of breakfast pizza or a, a egg and cheese biscuit, get something in the tummy. So yeah, get big routine guy. A little bit. Yes, sir. There you go. Well, Chris, I've had a hell of a time learning a little bit more about uh, your past in basketball and, and your now and your future. Um, but I got one more question for you. As everybody can see behind me, I, I like shoes. I'm a big shoe guy. Some might call me a sneakerhead. But admittedly, I might have started to get your toes dipping in the waters a little bit more. So you got to tell the people, what are you hooping in nowadays? And what's your favorite hoop shoe that you ever played in? Yeah, man, you are definitely having a heavy influence on me and have me looking on the Nike and Adidas app every week about to order another pair of shoes. But I right now I'm playing in the Kyrie eights. I was actually just thinking next time I go out, I might throw on the sevens again. Um, I've kind of gone back and forth on this because like I at first when I got the eights, I was like, there's no way these are going to be better than the sevens. I love the sevens. They're like the best basketball shoe I've ever played in. And just the look, it's like a much different look, but the eights are super comfortable. Um, they fit me really well. I play pretty decent in them, but I think the sevens are still probably my favorite. I, I have, a, I've have had a ton of different shoes over the years. I was, I was probably more of a sneakerhead when I was younger, ripping up that East Bay catalog, having my mom order all these $40 Dada's. I don't know if that, that, uh, makes me a sneakerhead or not, but, but yeah, man, I, uh, I like the shoes too, but uh, I don't know if I'm going to quite build up my collection like you. Well, you know, it definitely took time and it, it took my bank account growing up before I could ever really get to the position that I'm at now too. So maybe it's a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, man, those sevens, they're just so sleek and I like how, um, transitional they are for any kind of player you know i'm a bigger guy and the sevens are one of the best shoes that i've ever played in um 
we're going to have a podcast. We're going to have a past the outlet where we're going to do a deep dive just on shoes. So I'll make sure that you have plenty of prep time, Chris, uh, so you can do your research and, you know, I'll have some Q&A set up for you. So make sure you do Perfect. your homework, uh, unlike Kyler Murray. Yo, do, do, do. <laughs> Got to get the soundboard, too. Well, so this is per- this is a perfect time to say once again, this is past the outlet episode two. Uh, we're taking a deep dive into everything basketball today. Uh, we took a little bit of a dive into Christopher Patrick and his basketball journey. Uh, you know, as we continue this journey of past the outlet, I'm sure we'll have more stories to tell. So make sure you stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at az underscore bsp. Follow us on Facebook at Valley Sports Plug. And make sure you like, comment, and subscribe here on YouTube and Valley Sports Plug. We appreciate you all very much. But, Chris, are you ready to move on to our next segment? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Let's get into some of these segments that we got. We got uh, the, you know, what am I trying to say here? I Also, I think I was just thinking of this. I think it's worth mentioning, if you guys haven't noticed yet, our little duck guy, is gone he's not in the corner anymore we have upgraded and i even think the video quality might be a little better i might might just be tripping but these are the things we're doing we're investing in valley sports plug we hope you invest in us and we're not even asking for any money right now you guys just watch our videos join in the conversation um if you don't know where to find us you're not really trying because you just got to go on to google type in valley sports plug and the whole first page is pretty much all us but if you are here, if you're 53 minutes in on the playback, I thank you so much. And I know that you're a true fan and a real one. And I thank you so much. And I can't say that enough. But Mike, let's get into this. Let's get into this. What do you got first for us? Yeah. So this next segment is the outlet point guard. This is a segment where we want to bring in either one, one clip or a set of clips um, from the past or present from any level, NBA, college, high school, and really take a look and uh, try and dissect kind of what we're seeing on the floor. And this is where we want you guys to join in and and leave your comments about what you see, uh, what you might think we don't see, or if our takes are a little bit outlandish. Um, that's you know what being a basketball fan is all about. Everybody sees the game a little bit differently. But I'm going to bring this up here. Um, this clip that we're going to do today is the 2005 Western Conference semifinals of the Suns versus the Dallas Mavericks game six. Uh, This game was May 20th, uh, 2005. This was actually the first season that I was a ball boy for the Phoenix Suns. So a lot of these guys on the screen that I see are very familiar faces to me. Obviously, uh, we wanted to get Steve Nash on here because he's probably one of Chris's all-time favorite guys. You know, we had fan favorites like Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, uh, Quinton Richardson was on this team, even though it was very short-lived uh, for one season. Joe Johnson was on this team. You're not going to see him in this clip because this is when he had broken his uh, or or he had fractured his orbital bone, so he was out during right. this series. Um, and then we have some other guys like Jim Jackson. Stephen Hunter, who actually has a pretty big, um, you know, 
uh, foot in the youth sports culture here in Arizona nowadays. Really? Uh, he's a guy who's holding a lot of uh, camps and, and you know, giving back to the youth. And it's not like you can miss him. He's a seven-foot-one guy. He's huge. Um, and then other guys, like Chris was saying, Jim Jackson. So I guess let's not get copywritten, Chris. So I'm not going to play this um, the volume, mm, even smart. though I'd love to hear it. But uh, just feel free. Let's run it through once, and then uh, we can start breaking it down a little bit. Perfect. So 26 seconds left in the game. The Suns are down by three. Uh, there's a lot of decisions to make here. Uh, if you're the Suns in to either win the game or push this to overtime. So here we go. I think conventional wisdom here says go for two. Right. And watch, I, I feel like they saw that the switch had come over. So Nowitzki was on Nash right away there, who I mm -hmm. said, make sure you kept in mind because he was going to be coming up again. And here he is. Um, so Steve Nash makes the two, and then, of course, you foul, right? You put him at yep, the free throw line, foul. see if they're going to miss one. Stackhouse makes both of them. And here comes Nash just with a bunch of downhill speed and not even a, not even a thought to let it fly. You could see one of the things I saw there in the corner was Jason Terry looking like he was trying to call a timeout. Uh, but I don't know if the refs weren't paying attention or what was going on. But – you know, that three pushed him to overtime. And the Suns ended up winning this game and winning the series uh, because yeah. uh, they won that series 4-2 to two and then ended up going to the Western Conference Finals against the San Antonio Spurs. But one of my favorite things about this play is how pissed off Dirk Nowitzki <laughs> is here. You can see yeah. him. I, it almost looks like he swung, swung that towel at Jason Terry being like, what the <laughs> hell are you doing, man? Yeah, you but, can see he was pissed at Jason Terry. Sorry, go ahead. But so let's bring it back to the top here. So right away, and Chris, you already said it. You got 26 seconds left. You're down by three. Conventional wisdom is going to tell you to go for two here because you want to play the free throw line game. You want to put them on the free throw line, see if they might be able to miss one. So then you can have another situation if you want to drive to the basket, maybe get fouled, you know, uh, tie the game and then they're going to have not that much time left to try and take a game winner mm -hmm. so when nash comes down here you see the high screen set by sean marion right away and the communication between jason terry and dirk nowitzki is switch just it's so high the screen is you know almost getting to half court switch right away because at this point nash ended up having 39 points in this game um and that went to overtime and the suns kind of pushed away um and and brought in the lead when the last two and a half minutes of this game mm -hmm. where it really wasn't a contest anymore and i think it's important to also mention here sean marion setting that high screen look at all the other suns players on the court look at how spread out the floor is suns were i didn't see a lot of teams doing five out on offense like this so it really opens up the floor and he ends up when they do that switch he puts Dirk on an island exactly and this was kind of the the culture shift that we were seeing in basketball at that time frame 0405 with the seven seconds or less suns they were starting to really spread the floor and put everybody out on the three-point line and they would let Nash kind of attack and create as best as he could. He'd get Amar Stoudemire and plenty of pick and rolls. 
let him get down low, attack the ball down and, and go to work. Or Amari really developed that 12 to 15 foot jumper uh, to a absolute almost all time status. I feel like at one point uh, he was so dirty with it from mid range. It was, it was what we hoped Deandre Ayton to get to, but that's besides the point. Uh, <laughs> and in here in the corners here, you two at the, at the top corner right here, this is Quentin Richardson. Uh, we said Joe Johnson was in this game because he had the orbital fracture. This is Walter McCarty, uh, a name, a blast from the past for me, who I had to wow. kind of remember how did he end up on the team? And I think I might be wrong, but I think that he was involved uh, in the Joe Johnson trade um, that brought Joe Johnson here to Bo- from Boston to Phoenix. And he was another piece that was included in it. And the guy that you can't see in the corner here, you think it's Amari Stoudemire. It's not. It actually was Stephen Hunter on the floor. Um Ah, this is definitely a game that I'd love to go back and watch entirely just to see like the full breakdown of this. Yeah. Uh, but let's go ahead and put push it forward a little bit more. So after this high screen, obviously Dirk steps out. Steve Nash's first thought is he sees Jason Terry trailing a little bit behind Dirk here. So he thinks if he could swing the ball quick, um, he might be able to get Sean Marion moving downhill for like an easy floater, which Sean Marion was definitely known for in those days. But as soon as he makes that pass, Sean Marion doesn't even hesitate to give the ball right back to him. And I'm yeah. thinking at this point, that's because Steve Nash was probably on a heater. He had it going all night long and he has the mismatch, right? What yeah. you want here is you want a two. So I'd rather have my point guard who has been known to be shifty and be able to create and get downhill and get to the glass with ease, go up against the seven-footer Dirk Nowitzki. Because if anything, he can get him on his back hip and maybe draw a foul and get an and one, and you could tie the game right there. Yeah. Yeah, and whether this is a set play or not, it just goes to show you how smart NBA players are when you break it down like this second by second. They're making these in split-second decisions. We've only got – we're three seconds into this clip, I'm pretty sure. Didn't we start with 24 seconds or 26 seconds? We're three to five five, seconds in. Five seconds in. And so far, we've seen them bring the ball past half court, set a high screen, swing the ball to the top, and then now the ball is back in Steve Nash's hands. For Sean Marion to set that high screen, understand the situation, understand the amount of time left, there's no time to waste. He can't go into his three-point stands and take a few jab steps. Like you said, he gives it right back to Steve Nash here, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and this next part is probably my favorite part of the clip. Because we see guys like Trey Young start to do this, and even our Valley guy, Devin Booker, which is the blow by and then slow play and catch into the body. Like if you saw right there, Steve Nash had Dirk beat, but he slowed down just in the last second to see if he might be able to get a foul call created there to get Mm -hmm. an and one. Now, we definitely see Devin Booker slow it down way, way longer, and the guy's on his on, on his hip, and he's dribbling way out in front of him, and then he kind of gives him a little bit more of a bump into his sidestep and shot. But those are the kind of things that you learn from greats like Steve Nash, right? How to position your body, how to have that defender go onto your hip and possibly create an opportunity to get another uh, point for your team. And so, the perfect, I'm sorry, just the perfect execution of driving left, switching to that right, and finishing on the right side. 
Exactly. I mean, a guy like Steve Nash is six foot three on his best day, which isn't short, but in the NBA game, that's he was six one. Like when when I was on the court with him, he was six one. He was he was not not six three. Yeah. So he's an undersized individual, but he was so crafty with the ability to drive through the lane and understand um you know the spacing that he had to get his shots off almost like we see with Kyrie Irving and his you know ability to get to the basket and put up some of the craziest off-balance shots that I honestly have ever seen um but as a Suns fan we got to see some of it when we were younger so true so Steve Nash he drives I mean, they get this finish, and obviously at this point, you got to foul, right? You're not going to – you're going to foul as much as you can, which is kind of crazy to me. I, I think this was Quentin Richardson. Or, no, that might have been Stephen Hunter right there. Um, And I don't understand why he didn't high point to the ball and and because there's no there was nobody behind him. Yeah, that yeah, like, that was my first thought is how he got so much time off the clock. If, you, if you're gonna, if you're, you obviously know that you have to foul. So let Steve Nash go with Jason Terry, and you got to get over here, and you let him get to half court, which takes about two minutes off the clock that you can see there. Yeah. So those are the those are the little things as a coach when you start to dissect film. It really like grinds your gears because. That's it, just those little things. Those last seconds matter, especially when you get down to one possession games. You know, the team that is smarter and understands the situation the best is normally going to win the game. And thankfully, that didn't really matter. Two seconds didn't matter in this case. And I know Stephen Hunter is a bigger guy, but instead of pointing at the guy, go ahead and hustle after him. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. You know what I mean? Put some pep in the step. Yeah. Um, but so Jerry Stackhouse gets fouled. Um, I, I'll say Jerry Stackhouse, man. I really liked him when he was with the Detroit Pistons. He was one of those guys, I think, that came around um, right on the tail end of Grant Hill um, before mm. he kind of had his injuries and went to Orlando. But Jerry Stackhouse, man, he was a killer. I hated him with Dallas oh, yeah. uh, and those teams. Josh Howard was another guy. Michael Finley. God, yeah. those I, I hated those guys so much. Uh, I mean, it was always competitive. It was always fun, but you know, we lost plenty of times to them, and so yeah. I'll, I'll I'll always kind of hold a grudge in regards to that. Mm-hmm. But so then we have Jerry Stackhouse. He makes it. Your first thought: you got eleven seconds. If you go downhill, what are you thinking, Chris? What's your thought process here? Oof, going down still with eleven point five. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because especially after what you just saw happen. I think there could still be time to get a two, but I would look for the open three, maybe a guy in the corner, uh, maybe a a pick and pop type thing. But the pull-up is probably the last thing I was expecting, especially with Jason Terry kind of right on his hip. But the way we'll see Steve Nash drop on a – stop on a dime and even still have his momentum carrying forward to have enough control in his shot to make that – that type of stuff was, I swear, it was unseen at that point in time. Like, again, it was situational. Steve Nash wasn't just doing that on a whim. But, man, that was a clutch play, a guy with supreme confidence, and, and we're going to see it. But, yeah, I would have thought kick kick to the corner, get a screen, something. 
but the the pull up is the last thing I would have expected. Right, and I mean, you bring up such a great point here because after this first free throw, Dallas is all heading back. Right, they're not even thinking about putting any pressure on the ball because uh, they want to be back to contest anything that happens. So normally in this case, if I'm Sean Marion and I see everybody heading back, if I am going for two, I'm waiting for them to go just a little bit further, let Nash curl here and basically get him to pass at like three-quarter court. So he's passing half court in less than half a second. So you can get downhill and maybe get a two and have seven seconds left and then you can do the foul game again and then shoot a three. But the way that Nash comes a little bit closer to the pass almost makes me think that this was planned to give him as much space to get that downhill movement going towards Jason Terry. I mean, the whole problem with Jason Terry, I don't know why he's at half court trying to back up from here. Yeah. We could pick him up, hustle back, be here, and then fall back within it because Steve Nash has all the momentum going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if he's coming with a full, all full steam ahead, you're not going to be able to transition your hips fast enough and get to where you need to. Yeah, no, you bring up an absolutely great point. And I maybe I didn't even kind of really pick up on that. But yeah, he does shave a couple seconds off by by hanging in the backcourt and not get receiving the ball at the opposite free throw line. But and to get that space, you're right. Once he does that and Steve Nash kind of looks like he's rolling downhill, he gets Jason Terry on his heels. And he just he wasn't ready for for what was going to happen. I mean, I think maybe at there it was possible with the the clock winding down in that situation down by 3, maybe Jason Terry thought he could have pulled it from, you know, almost half court or just inside half court. Um but maybe it doesn't really seem like he had any reason to believe that the way he gets him on his heels and ends up, you know, giving him that just that tiny bit of space that he needed. Mhm. Yeah, so he just has all that momentum going and you saw that quick that quick hesitation right there really pull, it pulled Jason Terry back to uh, it, it's tough because it's like, well, he's not going to pull up back from back there. I mean, this is before the Stephen Curry days when guys are taking one step across half court and, yeah. and, and letting it fly. But just that little quick hesitation pulled him off of Nash just enough to give him space. And then you see him, fall over because all Nash still had all that momentum going forward. And then he stopped on a dime, like you said, and was able to get right into his shot and finish it off. And right at that, right as that's happening, like you said, that, that move Steve Nash makes Jason Terry, he was opened up to him, but he turns his hips towards the basket, expecting Steve Nash to ride on his hip towards the basket. Cause I'd imagine he was thinking the same thing as me. Steve is going to drive, penetrate, and kick for a three to one of his guys. And instead, he made it look like that, and then boom. And that control, man, that is just impressive. Those are some of my favorite shots, too, like the way that it goes in, where it's not a complete swish, but it hits. The, it just hits off the iron, and it's like that kadunk. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. Like pop pop right into the basket those are some of my favorite ones and then obviously this the mavericks have 5.7 seconds i think i don't know if they didn't have a timeout you see jason terry try and kind of go for a timeout and i mean that's a good look from jerry stackhouse like i ain't gonna be mad at it it's the same way that uh, jimmy butler had his shot this past year uh against the celtics in game seven 
It's uh, almost the exact same shot Steve Nash just took on the other side of the court. If you look right, at it, he gets Jim Jackson falling on his hip. But Except Jim Jackson this, plays much better defense. Yeah, he's not falling over. And it looks like Nash kind of hedges just a little bit ahead of him, which you know can change your shot in the slightest, right? Mm-hmm. Any thought of a defender kind of coming low at you uh, and putting pressure on you, some guys might get worrisome about you know them coming into your legs or uh, change your mechanics, just a, a hitch, and that's that's all that matters. I mean, the same way that football is a game about inches, sometimes basketball is too, and which which is you know so awesome to me. But then this is my favorite thing: Steve Nash got him in their feelings. Dirk Nowitzki is over there blaming Jason Terry for falling over, even though he could have stepped over and, and helped out. I would have much rather had Sean Marion take that three if I'm the Mavericks and putting blame on other guys and having your team fall apart. And the Suns ended up winning that game for a reason. Yep. And that, that's another thing you said. It's a game of inches. Uh, we saw that with uh, Kevin Durant against the Bucks in 2021. Um, his toe was just barely over the line. And not only is it a game of inches, but it's also, um, a mental game. You know, you got to keep your composure. And once, once you're, you get, get your shell rattled, once someone gets inside your head, it, it can, can change your game. Um, and I can't imagine playing at the highest level in front of thousands of screaming fans, how those, you know, emotions could, could easily get intensified. But yeah, man, that play is incredible. And I think really you can see where, you know, the game really changed from the seven seconds or last Suns. And I know the easiest, you know, comparison is to, you know, look at the Warriors and what they've accomplished in the last five, 10 years. And it makes sense because Steve Kerr, I believe, was the GM uh, during that time period of seven seconds or less Suns or shortly thereafter. And so he got to be real in that culture and a part of that process and brought that that play style over to to the Warriors, as far as I can tell. Um, Much better coach than GM, though, I'll say that much. (laughs) Ain't that the damn truth. Well, you know what? That was awesome, man. I'm glad we figured that out. And, you know, on the first uh, past the outlet, we had a little bit of technical difficulties, but we were able to do a little bit of brainstorming and uh, add that into the stream. So, it won't be as choppy, and everybody who's watching and, and uh, following along with us, dissecting that play, can see what we're seeing in real time. Um, obviously, you know, take it with a grain of salt. 2004 clips, 2005 clips, starting to go back. The quality isn't going to be that great <laughs> anymore on playbacks. Um, but, you know, once we start pulling up some Devin Booker highlights, it'll be clean and crispy. I promise you that. Oh, yeah. And especially once the season starts rolling, we're going to have DeAndre Ayton to criticize. We're going to have Devin Booker to criticize. I'm going to have a whole lot of plays to break down, but it's not all going to be bad. We're going to show good clips to stuff they're doing well because we want to we want to, you know, highlight the, the, the highs as well. I was about to say, Chris, we're not supposed to be criticizing the whole time. My goodness. Not the whole time. Just a little bit. <laughs> Well, that was the outlet point guard. If you're ready, Chris, I'm ready to roll into our next segment, Reddit Reacts. Yeah, man. Do you want me to pull it up? I got it. What are you thinking? Do we want to just hop on the Suns? Do you want to go NBA, basketball? What's what's your thoughts? 
You know, that's I like that idea because the Suns, the Suns fans and the Suns Reddit, you guys are crazy. Um, but that Reddit in general is crazy, and the NBA Reddit is even more is even more crazy. So I think we should take a look at that, see what's going on, maybe uh what's hot, what's what's been on the top of people's minds. Um see how how bad these takes are, what the rumors are. I think that's one of the most fun things this time of year is seeing other fan bases and what they think about moves their team might be making, especially around the time with Kevin Durant. You know, we all, a lot of us thought it was a surefire thing that KD was coming here. There's a thing on Suns Reddit where they're counting down the days till we get Kevin Durant. There's a guy over there that's making a meme every day until the Suns get Kevin Durant. And that man might be making memes for the rest of his life. Um, you know, shout out to him. We'll see how long he sticks with it. But that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. That's Reddit for you. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat here, we got Stephen A. Smith saying that if the American people wanted me to run for presidency of the United States of America, I would strongly consider it. And damn it, I mean it. Chris, oh, do you want Stephen shit. A. Smith to be the leader of the free country? Man, I'm... I'm sick of celebrities being politicians. I'm sick of politicians being celebrities. Just run the damn country. So no, I don't want Stephen A to be the president. He'd be too aggressive on my television screen, giving the state of the union address. Um, might be a little unnerving, uh, his delivery. I like him on first take. I like him doing his commentary when he pops up. I think he does some boxing stuff and some other sports, NBA uh, countdown, but no, no Stephen A. I don't want to see the presidential debate be The Rock, Kanye West, Stephen A. Smith. No, not going to happen. That's what I was going to say. The same for The Rock. Like, just keep making your movies, dude. I'm all about them. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll go like see them. Do. Do, do another Jungle Cruise. I'll go watch that. Mm -hmm. uh, we had Jeannie Buss coming out and saying that Russell Westbrook was the Lakers' best player last year. Chris, how do you feel about that? When, when you earn the nickname West Brick because you are shooting so terribly, and maybe she's saying that because he probably played the most games out of any of their superstars with Anthony Mr. Glass Davis being beat up and benched the whole year with LeBron missing his time and having his rest days. Maybe she just liked him because he was always walking into the arena playing in games, and she actually didn't watch the game because – if she did, she would have saw that Westbrook had the worst season of his entire career. Um, shit. I mean, Mike, that almost sounds like she's trying to hype him up so she can ship him out and sell him off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're playing the long game. So eventually if they can get Kyrie over there, um, they'll be able to have you know some trade partners for him. I mean, yeah. we'll see with the Lakers, man. Bringing in Patrick Beverly – it's a conversation that we've had before. How many really, really explosive, high-caliber personalities can you have in one room for one coach to really, you know, button down the hatches and keep everybody focused on what's going on correctly? I mean, I feel like in game five of like last year or the year before, the Lakers were fighting each other on the bench. Like the season had just started. Uh I, I just hope for LeBron James' sake he gets himself out of town and, and finds another team to kind of have his last hurrah with because 
him running the show and bringing in all of his friends and buddies, it's just not working, man, especially for a guy going into the twilight. Uh, like you said, Anthony Davis, made of glass. I'm sure that you've heard of the rumors about him and possibly trading DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson straight up for Anthony Davis. I wouldn't Whoa. do that no. ever. Are no. you kidding me? A guy who can't ever be on the floor and in, and is on the wrong side of – is he 30? He's on – he's he's oh, yeah, he's been in the league for a very long time. I know he came right – he was a one-and-done guy, and he came in, you know, when he was probably 19 years old. But I like Anthony Davis, but it's the same thing with, like, Kawhi Leonard. Like, if you can't – if you haven't been able to play consistently for the past three years, why do I want you as a focal point for my team? Like, I can't do it. I can't do it. No. No, and so, Anthony Davis is 29. He'll be 30 in March. So already okay. having that so much injury on the wrong, at 30. On the wrong side of 20. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could say that for sure. But is, is he going to be – is Anthony Davis going to be one of these guys that plays until he's uh, 35, 36 years old? And, and if he does, is he going to end up almost on a similar path to Derrick Rose where you go from an MVP caliber player to a role player – um, and 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 does he accept that role? What do you think? I don't know how you can have a guy make that much money and and put them into a role position. Um, I think if Anthony Davis wants to be a guy who plays until he's like 37, 38 years old, yeah, he's gonna have to, you know, pull a Lamarcus a Lamarcus Aldridge who was one of the best, if not the best, power forwards in the NBA. And then over the past five years, you've seen. You know, going back to his time with San Antonio, he had a couple of last good, solid, all-star caliber years. And then he tailed off and just kind of started to fit within his role as best as he could you know, yeah. with the Nets and whatnot. So I hope for his sake and for the longevity of his career, he can get there. But that also, this is what kind of person are you? What kind of teammate are you? And is Anthony Davis that kind of guy? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what else does what else does Reddit have? What what else so, is in NBA? So Reddit, Reddit they had uh, Husky Falcon had five hundred thirty eight player pro- projections with the highest five year market values. Number one, they have Nikola Jokic. So obviously, he just signed his huge uh, supermax deal with his MVPs that he's won. And then you got some young guns on here. You got Luka Doncic who's already signed, you know, uh, his first kind of big super masks extension after uh, being drafted. And then mm-hmm. LaMelo Ball. Hmm. LaMelo Ball. LaMelo, I like him. Huh? He's a he's a he's a talented young guy. He's a flashy guy. He's the new era, right? He is definitely the new era of players in the NBA. Um, and he is making a name for himself with his signature shoe deal with Puma. My goodness, do the kids love it. And all the crazy colors, the Rick and Morty special ones that came out. Where it was one, uh, going back to what you were talking about, Chris, it was one foot green, one foot was red. It's all the rage. You know um, I waited in line for those. Didn't get them. <laughs> and, you know, I, I thought they were building something pretty decent in Charlotte and they have a really, really young core, but now with everything that's going on with Miles Bridges, uh, he was a guy who was really excelling and looking to take the next step. And I mean, is he going to play in the league again with his uh, with his um, 
you know, incidents that he's had with the domestic violence and all that stuff. That's gonna be that's gonna be interesting to see. Can you click into that? Are there any other players on that list after Giannis? Um, I think it's look. it's no surprise that a, a, a lot of the top names on there are are these international guys. Of of course, Jokic is gonna have broad appeal overseas. Luka Doncic back at home. So yeah, Devin Booker not even on this list. Um, so they don't estimate his market value at more than two hundred million. Which honestly. Seems how is that even? Me. How is that even possible with the contract that he just freaking signed? Literally, being a pillar in the in the franchise for all of Arizona, and you've even seen him having a more broad appeal. Um, I know he has his Mexican heritage, and in Mexico, with the close proximity to Arizona, there's a lot of basketball fans that are Booker fans. So, whoever put this together, whatever. <sighs> what they're basing this off of where they're getting these numbers i mean Jokic plays in denver Doncic in dallas those those are big cities um lamello ball you obviously he got a shoe deal he's the gen z superstar um joel Embiid, cameroon he has another more international appeal Giannis, of course all throughout europe uh john moran's exciting scotty barnes though how's scotty barnes on that list but devin booker's dumb that's, maybe that's a typo. Maybe they meant to type De- Devin Booker and it came out Scotty Barnes. Well, yeah, I just wrote Devin Booker's. So, <laughs> we'll see. They, yeah, they, they might have been. Go. They might have messed up just a little bit. What's the What's the top comment on this? That's where you find the real juice and the sauce in the in the dressing. For the, yeah, in the dressing for the price of a Jokic, you can have a Giannis and a Jaw. I mean, no, I'm pretty sure Giannis and Jokic are on similar. I guess they're talking about the market value. That just yeah, um, yeah, market value. I mean, Jokic obviously has the two MVPs. I feel like the league has really gotten um, enamored with the the big guys who can, you know, fill up the stat sheets. Are are pretty athletic. I mean, when I say athletic, I'm of course talking about Giannis. Jokic is is just a big guy. But he's what? so smart, he, you know, takes over games. So, well, and that's what's so crazy is what Yannick, what Giannis lacks in some of those, you know, smarts and some of the more skill aspect of it. He makes up for in handfuls with his athleticism and his size. Man, there's nothing more frustrating than he just you can't touch him. He just extends this arm. It comes and slaps you five miles away in Chandler, um, but then he can't make a free throw. So it's like. This guy, man, but he's he is he's a great player and, and leverages it well. Jason Tatum again, not a surprise. I mean, Boston's a huge market. Young, another young guy. Uh, I don't think he's a huge social media guy, but um, no, no shocker, no shocker there. Whew. Reddit, man, told you they got a uh, they got the stuff there. Hold on, I gotta I gotta pull up one more for you. Okay, definitely. And hey, to anyone watching or listening back, if you see something on Reddit, send us a DM on any of these platforms and show us what you're looking at. And we we might talk about it on this show. Um, eventually, I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll, throughout the week, I keep an eye on the Reddits, the Suns Reddit, the NBA Reddit. If something stands out to me, I'm going to bring it up. Um, but every once in a while, like tonight, we, we'll just go through it. We'll see what the what the hottest take is on the on the Suns Reddit and react to it. So we want this to be an interactive show, guys. We want you to be a part of it. Yeah. So on that note, Chris, I got one more for you before we uh, call it a night. 
and let me show this here. Make sure I show the right one instead of double showing you and put us in uh, like Inception. There he is. We're finally um, getting some. We're finally getting some run. Um, you know, the past couple of months, those summer runs like Rico Hines. You know, uh, professional runs where a lot of guys will go out and film them and put them on YouTube. And it's some of the like just rawest basketball you can watch because, you know, these professional players go out there and. It can do whatever they want, basically. Yeah. Uh, because it's just, you know, pickup games, basically, at the end of the day. But uh, Chris Paul had his annual, like, elite guard camp, and Devin Booker was out there. It looks like DeMar DeRozan was out there. But look at that effortless, like. Yeah. Why uh, does it look like he's height four on the feet jump. in the air? Yeah. Holy like, cow. Is that for real? That's ridiculous. Like DeMar DeRozan is not a short guy. DeMar no, DeRozan is like look it up, six, Chris. Can you look it up for me? Six, yeah, I'm look that up. Six I want to say he's like my height or a little bit taller. Um, I know he plays majority two guard, but he's almost fully extended with his hand. And it's not even to, it's barely to Devin's chest. Yeah, he's six six. That's ridiculous, man. So he's yeah, he's even taller than Book is. That oh, is goodness. that is insane. But I, I love that. I love that these guys, obviously, Booker is a baller. He's going to be playing year-round. Um, that would be an interesting, just thinking in, in that picture, thinking about uh, DeMar DeRozan on the Suns. But we got that guy. We got that guy right there. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, I think it's his, it was his birthday today or the other day this week. So happy birthday, Mikhail. Definitely happy you're still here. And I know we're running short on time, Chris. So we'll have to get into the KD uh, thing next time. Oh, yeah. uh, obviously, right now, uh, Kevin Durant and the Nets front office and the organization have come to an agreement that he will come back and they will play. We will see how long it lasts. Right now, the the dream is dead, but not completely. The light is still flickering. I'm holding on to hope. That's the last things I got to say about it. There you go. Well, Mike, shoot, I could talk basketball with you for hours, for days. I probably could go a few days without sleeping and we could still talk basketball, but we agreed to keep this concise and to a specific length to where we will keep your interest. So, and we want to save some more for the other episodes. You know, we got a lot to say, so we're going to come back at you in a few weeks, maybe next week. I don't know. Keep an eye out on the social medias at Arizona underscore VSP. Every week we're going to have a live stream for you in some form or fashion. You can go back and watch the videos we did in the past. We just had our NFL draft uh, for fantasy football. That went well. It was kind of crazy. It was a little bit sloppy, but it was a lot of fun and uh, hopefully a little bit entertaining. Uh, if you guys go back and watch on it, Mike was doing his best sideline reporter, um, Craig Sager impersonation, and I uh, think he did a stellar job. Dude, that was such a great time. And, hey, as we continue to you know get our feet a little bit more wet each time, uh, we'll keep adding on different things, keep improving. And I appreciate everyone uh, who joins us and supports us. And we, we can't do it without y'all. We appreciate y'all very much. Yes. Yes, sir. Um, so with that, we are going to get out of here. Um, I think that I need to, oh, there we go. I think I need to just say thank you guys one more time. If you made it this far, if you're still with us, 
Um, let us know. Let us know what your favorite things were. Let us know what we could do different to make this a better experience for you. But um, yeah, all the thanks in the world. We'll be back at it. Keep, keep an eye out and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.